as uh, we get our screen ready to read Ephesians chapter 1 together, I'm going to ask once more, and I will next week too, anybody memorize it? Some people are working on it. I like that. That's good. We want to work on it, but nobody's ready to come up here and... I don't want to scare you that way. But you can stay right where you are and say it. All right? We won't even look at you while you say it. But uh, we would love to hear somebody, uh, maybe lots of somebody's, be able to quote this together. Um, this is a precious, precious passage. Um, years ago, I've challenged people in the churches I've been in to memorize big sections. Uh, Isaiah 53, we did that one year, and we had folks memorize that, and there were some cases where they said, I, I won't do it by myself. So they had a partner, and they would say it together. One family did it together, and they added sign language to it. And boy, was that beautiful to see that. And so if you want to be creative, if you want to turn this into a song, go ahead. The choir will learn it. And uh, that would be great, too. This would make a great song. But are you ready to at least quote it together with the words on the screen? Well, we're going to do that. So, Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 3 and work our way to verse 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Now, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption, the but the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, coming out of all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. To the end, that we who were the posts to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Wow, I love it. Thank you for sharing that together as we read it. Uh, we're going to jump into verse number four today. And talk about the word holy. But we better ask for help. Heavenly Father, again, what a privilege it is to have these words in front of us. To see what you have done for us. 
it's an amazing passage. And the more we study it, Lord, the more may we be in awe of who you are and what you've done. And I pray today especially that you would uh, work in our hearts that we might understand the things that you have said, that we might understand them and find the application of them in our lives as well. So this is a very important time for us to give our attention to your word and to your work. And we ask you, Lord, to bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, verse number four told us that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. That's the section we're going to work on here this morning. We're going to examine the third in our list of blessings that we have received. This is really quite a study. As I said before, we are simply reviewing about 11 of the millions, and I believe millions is an accurate term, maybe more, of God's blessings that have been given to us. I I don't know how else we could count this, but someday in heaven we might get a full glimpse of it all, and that's going to be incredible. But the ones we are looking at in this passage are words like blessed, chosen, holy, blameless, predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, informed, made an heir, and sealed. Now, if you go out and purchase a new car, you sometimes are given several choices for options you might want with them. You might like heated steering wheels. They feel good in January, don't they? You, you might like backup cameras, and maybe a lot of you have that now on your, in your cars. You might like eight-track tape players. Well, that goes back a little ways, doesn't it? The choir is going to make some of those, maybe, uh, eight-track tape players. But when we read this list of blessings that are in front of you, blessed, chosen, holy, blameless, predestined, adopted, a redeemed, forgiven, informed, made in heir, or sealed, which one of those are optional? I ask you that question, and if we were honest, and we should be because we're a Bible church, <laughs> holiness is sometimes viewed as something for a select group of church folks. We think holiness seems to be designated only for those who have their lives all together. We think of holiness as for those who come to church to Sunday school and morning worship and Sunday night and Wednesday night fellowship groups and sometimes even show up on a Friday afternoon just to pray in the parking lot. Do you know anybody like that? Holiness is sometimes viewed as something for a select group of church folks who have Christian art on the walls of their house, Christian bumper stickers on their cars, post Bible verses all the time on Facebook and Instagram. Holiness is sometimes viewed as something for those select people who have been to Bible college or seminary or serve as a pastor or an elder or a deacon or a trustee or a deaconess or a missionary. We can easily come to the conception that holiness is another level of attainment. It's a step higher in the Christian life and it's reserved for those who put their effort into it. I want to read to you a quote that I read recently. I'm going to read it slowly on purpose. 
Holiness is a habit of being of one mind with God. According as we find His mind described in Scripture, it is a habit of agreeing in God's judgment, hating what He hates, loving what He loves, and measuring everything in this world by the standard of His Word. It's quite a definition. The habit of being of one mind with God. That habit sounds quite involved, doesn't it? What we study here in Ephesians chapter 1, our identity in Christ, it does not say our activity in Christ. It's not our achievements in Christ. It is not even our hopes and dreams in Christ. Those all would be great studies, no doubt, but the focus we have in Ephesians 1 are what you have in Christ. And I believe that uh, you know you have these things by application. You're going to want to do what? Live up to them. The outline of Paul's letter to the Ephesians is really an easy one to, to, to break apart. Bible students find it a joy to read Ephesians because it breaks so easily right in the middle. The first three chapters are heavy on doctrine to say what is yours as a believer in Christ. And the last three chapters, four through six, are on the duties you have now as a believer in, in Jesus Christ. So it's doctrine, and then it's duty. And it's appropriate way to do that. But as Paul puts down the turning point in chapter 4, verse 1, after three chapters of doctrine, he says, Therefore... I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. So as he turns to duty, he says, now doctrine is important because that is what you're supposed to live up to. Live up to who you are. Live up to who you are. So it is with holiness. It's a doctrine. And it is a duty. So let's start in the text where it starts in chapter 1, verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Now, next week's topic is the word blameless. So I'm going to take that out of the sentence for a minute and read it to you again. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy before Him. That we would be holy before Him. Now, Paul, I love the way he weaves these thoughts and verses together. We find things of importance here, and I want to start them off this way. Holiness is not separated from your being chosen. And it's not separated from you being blessed. The verse 4 starts just as. And that is our linking term that reminds us that all these things are equal in degree. To the degree that you've been blessed, you have been chosen. 
to the degree, degree that you have been blessed and chosen, you are holy. You ready for this? You might need seatbelts. I think someday we'll install them on the pews. Just because there are some pretty impressive things here. Holiness is given on the same level, the same plane as the other two that we've seen. It's not some less designation, something, you know, that's different from the rest. But rather the way it's presented, all three of these already are all dependent on each other to show you who you are in Christ. The fact that you've been blessed, the fact that you've been chosen, is also the fact that you stand before Him as holy. They're all united that way. And another way of saying this is, you don't have the option to pick two out of three. All three are yours in Christ Jesus. All three. Here's our challenge this morning. And I'm going to tell you my outline. I usually don't just spell out my outline to you, but I'll give it to you this way. First, we're going to identify the word holy, so we know what it is we have. Second, we're going to determine how does that relate to our identity? How does it relate to our identity? And third, we're going to examine the ramifications of it. And you thought, that's the application. Nope. Fourth. Fourth is setting it as an application in our life. The ramifications are powerful, and it's probably not what you're going to expect. So our challenge is first to identify the word holy. You've seen that word a lot in your life. I know it. Peter wrote this in 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That is a command given to the church. Like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. I stopped and looked at that and looked at it and I said, like the one who is holy, I'm to be holy. I'm to be that in addition to the fact that he's that way, I'm to be that in all my behavior? That's what it says. That command was also given to the Israelites in the Old Testament. That's why he says, because it is written, you've got to go back to the Old Testament. How far back do you think you've got to go? Samuel? Kings? Psalms? Sounds like a good psalm. Leviticus? You say, I wouldn't expect... Leviticus? That's a book you never get to when you're doing your... through the Bible in a year. Right? Leviticus got... uh, It's like, oh, that's a tough one. Leviticus says it three times. In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45... I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus 19.2 Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Chapter 20, verse 7 You shall consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. 
He kept coming at them. And of course the Israelites had no trouble with that, did they? Oh yes, they did. They were commanded to do it, and they didn't. They didn't. Now Paul, when he pulls up this phrase, holy, in chapter 1, verse 4, he's using the Greek word hagias. I like that word. It just sounds good. Hagias. If you're spelling it H-A-G-E-E-O-S. Hagias is the way we put it in English sometimes. Uh, hagias means from hagas, an awful thing. Now, not awful like, oh, that's terrible. All right? Not something you found in your refrigerator that you forgot about years ago. Awful as in full of awe. A-W-E. Awful. We use the word sacred. We talk about things that are physically pure, morally blameless, or a religious or a ceremonially consecrated item. We use it as an adjective a lot in Scripture, a holy thing here and a holy person there and such like that. Sometimes when it stands by itself, it's the word saint. Because that's a holy person is called a saint. We even use it in the concepts of a holy place, or what we call this room, the sanctuary. A sanctuary. It, it is a room set apart for a unique purpose, like this room is. They didn't ask to play the Super Bowl in this room for a reason. This is not a football field. This is a sanctuary, right? It's got a different purpose. My definition even of sanctification is set apart for a purpose. So, when we talk that way of holiness, it does have the idea of being set apart. And generally, it's from sin. And that's a big word if you start thinking it through. From sin. Because God is definitely holy. Any debates on that? Do you know that even the angels acknowledge that day and night before His throne? There is a group of them called seraphim, Isaiah tells us in chapter 6, that hover around his throne day and night, calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And that's their job. My guess is they've been doing it since they were created. And my guess is that when you get to heaven, you're going to see them up there and say, Wow, they're still at it. They cannot say enough of God's holiness. And that's what they do. Proclaim it all the time. Honestly, I don't think we have a problem with identifying God as holy. I don't think there would be any debates about that. But here's what it says of us. Here's what He says of us. Just so you know, this is His authority. It's not mine. I didn't make this up. He said in Peter, But like the Holy One who called you, and he did, didn't he? Be ye holy also in all your behavior. Let's identify that word, holy. It's not so hard, but it has to be understood. It's separated. Separated from sin. Separated to be like God. In our words, in our thoughts, in our actions, in our attitudes... Oh, it's everything. 
That's what we're called to be. And that word is right in front of you in Ephesians 4. It is your identity in Christ. Let me go further. How does that relate to our identity? What does that mean? That's my point too. Just as he chose us before him, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy before him. He chooses us to be holy. He chooses us. He didn't just choose you and say, well, I picked him (laughs) and move on. He picked you for a purpose. That's the whole picture of that. He chose you to be holy. That's incredible. Now, our English translations give us the idea that this is a potential thing. Because it says that we would be holy. Or it says that we should be holy. Unless you're reading an NIV today. And what I like about what the NIV did in their translation of this particular phrase is they got closer to the Greek phrase than any of the others on this concept. This is the way it reads. If you don't have that one, let me tell you what it says. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy. It took out the should or the woulds. The potentials that sometimes we, we kind of use as our safety net, don't we? I don't want to admit this to you. But we say, well, I know what the potential is of me and someday I'll get to it. We use it as our loophole. To get out from under what's expected of us. I, if that stepped on a toe, I'm sorry. No, I'm not. That was good. We need to hear that. Because scripture doesn't say it that way in the Greek. We've added the shoulds and the woods and things like that. But this is a present tense infinitive. And I'll tell you what that means in grammatical purposes. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be continually holy. Woo! I added a word, didn't I? Continually, present tense. Ongoing. 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 It's not just an action. It is an adjective. So that means it's supposed to describe you and me. When somebody is describing you and me, it should be in that description. They are continually holy ones. Can you handle it so far? It gets better. It gets better. That's your identity, folks. That's why he made you. Do you know that? He made you that. He has blessed you because of Christ. Is that true? You saw it in verse 3? He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We underscore that. Because how many of the blessings did you earn? How many of them did you deserve? None. He did it, and through Christ. Secondly, the fact that he chose you is because of Christ. Look at verse 4. He chose us in him, that's Christ, before the foundation of the world. Again, your choosing is not because of you being choosable. If that's the word. He chose you in Christ. And the fact that you wear the identity as holy, don't be surprised, is because of Christ. It's because of Christ. 
Here's the ramifications of it. The identity as a holy one is given to you. It's your identity given to you. It is in the action of God choosing you. It is in time frame of before the creation of the world he established this. It is completed in the work of Christ on your behalf. I don't know all that he meant when he said it is finished, but boy, it gets bigger all the time in my mind. I know we cannot claim to be sinless. That's true. On this planet, there's no way for that. The phrase we're going to learn soon is that we're forgiven of our sins. And you won't have that apart from Christ. It's impossible for anything else to forgive you but Him. That's what His blood was for. So understanding the title, Holy One, is not earned. Just because it's there doesn't mean it's time to pat yourself on the back and say, Ha ha, I've arrived. That's not the way it's set up. It's not a trophy. It's not a certificate on your wall. In context that we're following here, it is so undeserving for us to have that title. It's not something that we have merited at all. Our condition is sinful. He is holy. We are unacceptable, literally unacceptable in God's eyes as we are. But He chose to bless us. He chose to choose us. And he chose us to be continually holy ones because of Christ. Let's give him the glory. That's why verse 6 says it that way. To the praise of his glory. Not ours. Not ours. He chose us to be holy ones. I try to picture that often when I go through this passage. Because it's easy to step into these shoes and get kind of prideful. And I think it's very good for us to keep it in context. Because as it starts in chapter 2, not many verses from here, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It's like, ooh, that's where we really were when he had already planned this. Already planned this. Let me just give you a picture of the nature of his mercy. This quote I came upon, a story just recently. It speaks of a thoughtless, ungodly English traveler. He was speaking one day to a believing North American Indian. He says, Man, what is the reason that you make so much of Christ and talk so much about Him? What has this Christ done for you that you should make so much ado about Him? The converted Indian did not answer him in words. He gathered together some dry leaves and moss and made a ring with them on the ground. He picked up a live worm and put it in the middle of the ring. He struck a light and set the moss and the leaves on fire. The flames soon rose and the heat scorched the worm. It writhed in agony and after trying in vain to escape on every side, curled itself up in the middle as if about to die in despair. At that moment, the Indian reached forth his hand, took up the worm gently, and placed it on his bosom. 
Stranger, he said to the Englishman, Do you see that worm? I was that perishing creature. I was dying in my sins, hopeless, helpless, and on the brink of eternal fire. It was Jesus Christ who put out his arm, the arm of his power. It was Jesus Christ who delivered me with the hand of his grace and plucked me up from everlasting burnings. It was Jesus Christ who placed me, a poor sinful worm, near the heart of his love. Stranger, that is the reason why I talk of Jesus Christ and make much of him. I am not ashamed of it because I love him. I thought, wow. Too often we become like the peacock, don't we? We strut about with our holy identity as if it comes from our own doing. He saved us by His grace. Never let that leave your thought. He saved us by His grace so that no man may boast. Chapter 2. It's in there, verse 7 and 8. But with all that said, it is important that we realize that the identity of being a holy one is not by our works. It's not by some achievement we reached or we've leveled up in the Christian life. Remember the Corinthian church. You may say, well, there's two books written to them. What about them? They were probably the most immature church ever put on record. Unfortunately, these folks, we read about them. It's right here in black and white. They had trouble in every single direction. And you would probably, if you were seeking a church today, you wouldn't go there. You'd say, what a mess. What a mess. And yet, how they were identified is very important. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse number 1, Paul says, Paul called as an apostle, of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is in Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. The Corinthians? Yes, the Corinthians. Saints by calling. Just as you had been blessed, they were blessed. Just as you had been chosen, they were chosen. Just as you have been made holy ones, they were made holy ones. They were saints by calling. Did they earn it? No. You want to give them a report card? It won't look good when it comes to behavior, but their identity was holy ones in Christ Jesus. That's God's designation. That's not mine. I didn't make this up. I told you that. He, I'm going to say this, and I don't want you to take this wrong. He won't think less of you in that department as your identity. He won't think less of you because that is what His Son accomplished on your behalf. His Son made it possible for you to wear that name. Do you think the Father is going to pull it away? In keeping in honor of his son, he has given that title. He might step to the side and say, but they don't live up to it. <laughs> but that doesn't mean he's going to pull the title back from you, because his son purchased that with his blood. And the father will honor his son every time. I find that encouraging. But at the same time, if he has labeled you as holy ones... 
That label doesn't fall off accidentally. It won't fade. It won't peel. It won't be covered up with something else. How do I know that? How do I know that? How do I know that if I just had Ephesians in front of me? It says that you were chosen to be holy before the foundation of the world. What did you do to mess that up? You weren't here. It was determined to be spoken in the present tense. It says continually holy ones. Not something like they were holy, but (laughs) that's different now. Or, I hope they'll be holy, as if maybe you'll live up to it someday. He uses the words present tense in this concept. You are continually being holy ones. That doesn't go on and off, and on and off, and on and off. That's continuous, with no end in sight. It was determined, read the rest of the verse, before him. Literally, that phrase is directly in front of him, directly in the face of God. This is his view of you. This is, in case you're wondering, Ephesians 1 is God is looking down at you and saying, this is who you are. More times than not, we're the ones looking up saying, I'm not that at all. (laughs) You know, our viewpoint is different, isn't it? This is God's perspective of who you are. It's what Christ has purchased for you. This is what God sees right before His face. He calls you His Holy One. What's also neat about this is, not only did He set this up way back then, before the foundation of the world, it says, but when you stretch all the way to the other end of the extreme, and you want to know, where is this going? Look at the last part of Ephesians, chapter 5. Chapter 5. I want to show you verse uh, 7, I think it is. Let me see. 27. Okay. Ephesians five twenty-seven. Here is a description of the church. When it is completed. When it is standing before the Lord. When it is everything that it ought to be. And it says in verse number 27, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Now watch this. But that she would be what? Holy and blameless. So do you think he's going to succeed? Do you think this is just a a big dream that someday... Well, you know, if God comes 90% up on this one, is that pretty good? The church is going to be holy. Because the church is made up of holy ones. That's how sure He is that when we stand before Christ, in the end, we would be holy and blameless. We would be holy and blameless. That means... His program is not going to fail. And he's not going to change it. These words were written in sometime around 62 AD. And they are still the truth today. He hasn't come up with plan B. And he's not going to say, hey, that worked for a while, but let's try something different now. 
This is the reality of the way he has declared it from the beginning and he'll see it through to the end and you have a title and that does not change. That's big stuff to me. When you talk about the ramifications of this, the identity of the believer here in this world, we look up and God says, Holy One, in my eyes. And at the very end, he's going to see you stand there and say, Holy One, just like I planned it. And in between those two points, the beginning and the end, do you think he's going to make a lapse of some kind? Like it's going to diminish in, in some sort of work here? Here's where we can make our confusion. We confuse our behavior with our identity. I've been talking to you this morning about your identity. Your identity in Christ. I'm going to deal with the behavior in just a minute. Okay? But we're viewing this as God has declared it so. You are holy ones in Christ Jesus. That is a fact. Every believer is. Alright? You understand that? They don't have to pass Sunday school class to get there. They don't have to be baptized to get there. They don't have to go to Bible college to get there. They don't have to pray on Fridays afternoons in the parking lots to get there. You are there if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. That's your identity. You're holy. You're a holy one in God's eyes. Thanks to Jesus, <laughs> you are a holy one in God's eyes. He did it. You want to give anyone credit, turn it to him, right? Praise him for it, because he accomplished it. And this title sticks. That's the ramification I wanted to bring before you. It's a title that sticks. And it will still be our identity all the way through. To the very end, it's still our identity. Because it was in the beginning and it will stay and it will be our title at the very end. So what's its application? This is where identity collides with behavior. Since you wear the name Holy Ones, guess what a pastor likes to say next? Live up to it. Isn't that the verses that we started with? For it's just like the Holy One who called you. Be ye holy in all your behavior. This is where it comes personal in application. You've been given a title to live up to. I, I got a plaque from my parents many, many years ago. And you might have even seen something like this yourself. But it had to do with our name. And it had the name Courtney at the top of it. And the plaque read this way. You got it from your father. It is all he had to give. So it's yours to use and cherish as long as you may live. If you lose the watch he gave you, it can be replaced. But a black mark on your name, son, can never be erased. It was clean the day you took it and a worthy name to bear. When he got it from his father, there was no dishonor there. So make sure you guard it wisely after all is said and done. You'll be glad the name is spotless. 
when you give it to your son. My father was terrific. I miss him a lot. He's, he's with the Lord. But he did give me precious things in life. A name, a beautiful name. He gave me a testimony of his life that will always be inside of me. When I do things, I think, this is how my dad would have done it. This is what I think. Often, when I think of ways I say things, or ways I do things, or even the cliches he always did when when we were trying to open a bottle and we can't get it open, my dad would always come by and say, good thing you're not on the inside trying to get out. (laughs) You know? I shared that with the kids so they could do it too and share it with their kids, right? He had these little cliches that just kind of, you know, comes to my mind a lot. My Heavenly Father has given me a title that has challenged my entire existence. He said, you're a holy one. What are we doing to live up to that title? That's a precious thing to wear, is it not? Something so valuable given to us. Something so beautiful given to us. We shy away from that word because we don't want to be misunderstood in this world. Folks, be misunderstood in the world. They need holy people walking around. We hide it because we're afraid people don't understand. What do you mean you're a holy one? What are you? You know, you say, well, I'm nothing. I'm that one. The Lord Jesus Christ gave me a title I don't deserve. But I'm going to live up to it. This world needs holy people. Boy, wouldn't it be great to see it in all aspects of our world. In our politics, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great to see it in the communities around us, in the cultures around us? Wouldn't it be great to see it in the people you work with? Guess who you are? You're a holy one in Christ. You are that one in the culture. You are that one at the workplace. You are that one in the arena of your life. You are that holy one. Live up to it. Live up to it. Just like the holy one who called you, be holy yourself in all your behavior. I want to be like my heavenly father. Don't you? Don't you? I wear his name. You do too. I get the privilege of wearing his character. And you do too. I want to live up to it, don't you? That's your title. That's your identity. So, as continuously holy ones, Go out there and be holy yourselves in all your behavior. I'm going to let that be your application today. Let that challenge your heart. Heavenly Father, it's an amazing thing that you love us in the first place. But that you entrust us with your name, that you entrust us with your character, That you call for us to be like you. And you know us so well. Lord, we are really quite stunned. When we think of your grace and your mercy. 
and your love for us. That you would do this for us is an awesome thing. And yet, we feel the call now, too, to live up to it. To live up to what you have made us. We won't debate today if you have made us holy ones. Because your scripture makes that clear. The only challenge we have is in the potential of living up to it in our behavior here on this earth. And that's why, Lord, you have given to us the word. That's why you've given to us the Holy Spirit. That's why you've given to us brothers and sisters in Christ, that we might hold each other up and walk together in this thing, that we might be a light to a dark world, that we might be holy in the midst of unholy, that we might bring glory to your name, not to us, to you, to you, Lord. Do your work in our hearts as individuals, but do your work in our hearts as a church here. Do your work in the midst of us to bring glory to your name as we live up to it. Thank you for making us holy. Now help us, we pray, as we say, Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. Do your work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.